0: Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast, brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because when you do, you get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. I'm your host, Drew Kreisman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And we continue with Hall of Fame week. And on this special edition of the the DFA show, excuse me, we have got a very special guest. You know him as the voice of the Colorado Rockies on your television screens at AT AT&T Sportsnet and the host of the Drew Goodman podcast, Who Could It Possibly Be? Well, that's right. It's Drew Goodman. What's going on? Yeah. Do you want to know what? I love the
1: name you guys have. And by the way, thanks for having me on, uh, Drew and Patrick. The DFA, because as you guys know, and Travis, I'll tell you, you don't want to be DFA in this business, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They're designated for assignment. So fortunately, hopefully that has nothing to do with my appearance uh, on the show.
2: We we like the alliteration almost. With We got DNVR. We got to have the DFA show. We also have DNBA show. So kind of just fit in and again yeah if you're if you're a hardcore baseball fan you know that that's kind of a an odd choice for a baseball show and uh and, and that's how we want it we want the hardcore baseball fans in here
1: well i'm sure you get them because you guys uh, crank it out every day I, my my uh the proverbial tip of the cap because it's uh, that's not easy to do but you guys are always uh, coming up with new and innovative information especially even in the uh winter months when
0: not a lot has been going on as you guys know right right well one of the things that it does allow us the space to do is celebrate the hall of fame and some of the now there's a rocky in there that we get to talk about another one trying to get in there and really it allows us just to celebrate the best of the game of baseball because at heart we're all baseball fans i think first and foremost and i did want to start there there's there's comment section here if you've subscribed on youtube if you're joining us live leave some questions let's try to keep them on the the hall of fame topic for today since that is our subject matter but i did want to start uh with you drew we were talking before mr goodman i feel like we're gonna have to differentiate our drews now here we'll see how this goes um but about the most recent thing that did happen we've told the story many times we had a big watch party here when larry walker finally got the call but what was that day like for you what was that moment like for you and as someone who's been a part of the fabric of the team, really, a voice, and extension in some ways of this team. What did that day mean to you?
1: Oh, it was very special. Um, you know, I remember for a while. Thank you, man. Will he be able to get in? Because uh, you know, there, there's been you know this this blockade for a number of years. That's finally getting chipped away at uh, with with players that performed at a high level that called Coors Field home. So for him to break that that uh, that glass ceiling, if you will, I, I thought it was awesome. Uh, and then to learn shortly thereafter that he was going to go in with the Rockies cap on, uh, a lot of pride. I mean, a lot of pride in watching him, knowing him, uh, realizing that the right thing was done. There was baseball justice because he is so deserving of being in the Hall of Fame, and. So I was thrilled. I mean, I think like most Rockies fans, you kind of put that fan hat on, even though you know you're you're a broadcaster and that sort of thing. I, I was absolutely ecstatic for him and for the organization.
2: As a guy, you know, who grew up on the East Coast in uh, in New York State, I'm I'm sure you know you, you've probably been here to Cooperstown go. once or twice. Four, before five minutes in, <laughs> I I'm from New Jersey. I do that a lot here, Drew. I- yeah. Harken back. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. You no,
1: know, I, I have had the, the pleasure of being in Cooperstown. I, I got to, to play at Cooperstown when I was in college and I um, I had gone up there as a kid. And then, th- though, uh, I think a lot of your, your listeners and viewers will will get this. Uh, I have three boys, one still playing in college, one's done playing in college and has graduated. And uh, I have another one uh, who's a senior in high school and they all went through the dreams park through, you know, that Cooperstown tournament, which is the absolute, I've been to a million tournaments from youth to, you know, high school to, you know, college. And it's the best one going. And I was there four different times uh, with my three boys. So I've been there a number of times. It it is, uh, it's one of my favorite places on earth. It really is Cooperstown. It's all about baseball. It's a beautiful hamlet with the, you know, with the lake. Uh, it, it's just a special, special place even beyond baseball, just from a, from an aesthetic standpoint.
2: So then as a father, uh, for these three boys who've grown up in Colorado, what do you say to them? Or what do they say to you when you're going through the Howard halls and they say, dad, I don't see the word Colorado in here once. What, what is that like? We know there's great history here in Denver. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast, a lot, but, but, up to this point, we haven't seen that at all.
1: Well, you know, there it was cool to see, like, the locker, the, the Rockies locker. And I'm trying to remember back. You know, I think Tulowitzki had some stuff in there. Some other players had stuff in there. I'm sure there was some Helton memorabilia. I'm trying to remember if there was a Brent Maine something or other because of, you know, having won a game.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but there certainly wasn't a no one was enshrined at that time. And still obviously Larry's waiting for his day, which hopefully will come later on uh, this summer, along with Jeter uh, most prominently. Uh, but, you know, they're baseball, they're baseball players, they're baseball fans. And I think they realized that, you know, the Rockies are still in um, their relative Infancy, and for that reason, there hadn't been a player in yet. But you know, they, like everybody else, were thrilled that that Walker got in. I know we're going to talk about Todd in a little bit, and and so maybe we can start populating uh, Cooperstown with with some uh, purple.
0: Yeah, like you said, I, I'm glad you pointed out the moment too, because it wasn't just him getting in that that he decided to wear the Rockies uniform. And there's been some interesting conversation we've been doing, you know, prep for an award show about what walker and helton meant each kind of differently for the rockies you know that they don't necessarily have the same legacy and that maybe walker doesn't have the same moments where helton got to go to the world series and you can think of him throwing up his arms and all the great stuff where walker it's like i don't know maybe the all-star game and him throwing on the helmet backwards is not quite the same but i don't know walker was the first great rocky does that seem fair to say you know, I, I've never, Drew, looked at it
1: in those terms or thought about it in those terms. And I don't want to give a flippant Cavalier answer because I think it would be dismissive of some really good players that came before him. I mean, sure. The cat from the inception, I mean, he hit three seventy in 1993, and, and he, he was great in a Rockies uniform. Dante Bichette would have, could have, should have been the first MVP for the Rockies. and I'm sure you guys have discussed that at different times on your podcast. Uh, So I don't want to say he's the first great Rocky. Um, Maybe he's been now, because of his impending enshrinement, recognized universally as the first great Rocky. But the Rockies had some some early talent, which enabled them to go to the postseason in just their third year. You know, the Ellis Burks of the world and, you know, the aforementioned Galarraga and and Bichette. Uh, But, you know, certainly Larry Walker's talent was – universally appreciated. I'm going to I'm going to say something now fellas that I'm going to repeat when we talk about Helton and then I'll repeat it on my own podcast I'm sure um, if I have not already over the last year and a half and that is that for me we can crunch stats in, in the new wave analytics and, and war and uh, you know all of these wonderful new metrics that we have some more wonderful than others I might add. Um, And so that's Mm -hmm. wonderful, Uh, but, but how we measure talent, truly measure talent. And the one thing I always fall back on is what did the baseball playing community think of him or the baseball coaching fraternity at that level? Think of a, a given player because they know best, they know best. And if you asked anybody of that era to name, you know, a half a dozen great players, Larry Walker would be mentioned regardless of where he called home. And the same thing will be said of Todd Helton. When you ask guys that never played for Colorado, but played against Helton, And certainly, as I said, played against Walker, they know, and I trust and value their opinion more than any others, quite frankly.
0: I have a story that fits that bill real quick that I think I've told on the podcast before, but when I was very early into my career doing this, I, I had an opportunity to be on a phone press conference with Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and Terry Francona, who all went into the Hall of Fame together that year. And so people were asking them all kinds of questions, but I just I wanted to know that. I asked them about, you know, them getting in, and I wanted to know about facing Larry Walker as a pitcher or as a manager and they all echoed exactly what you just said I think you had like a 305 batting average against lefty Tom Glavin I mean and they all just went yeah he was the guy you circled before the game started every night going we can't let this guy beat us we can't let this guy beat us and then half the time he beat us anyway
1: well the the most notable and that's a great story the most notable left-hander because you alluded to this earlier that maybe larry's most famous moment for the uninitiated in our sport or the casual observer uh, of our sport is when he flipped his head around his hat around backward in the all-star game there you go against randy johnson and so people felt like and there was also a game where where he didn't play against randy johnson everybody said oh he's got the johnson flu He's, he's right ducking randy johnson and that sort of thing well, nothing could be further from the truth. Larry Walker hit almost 400 in his career against Randy Johnson. So uh, you know again, I, I think that that speaks to people fully doing their homework. and it's wonderful to see when we talk about the Hall of Fame that more and more people who have a vote are truly doing their homework on the various candidates.
2: You mentioned the Rockies franchise really being in its infancy. You know, twenty-eight seasons when you've got these organizations uh, that have been around for a hundred years plus. And you know, we we talked yesterday. We, we kind of made the case for Andres Galarraga. How you know we we think of him as oh, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he was very good. Well, you know, depending on how you look at the numbers, there are a couple guys ahead of him that. If Fred McGriff gets in, or a, a Carlos Delgado, and maybe even a Jason Giambi, he's in the he's in that class in, in a lot of different ways from the era that he played. Seventieth uh, all time in RBI. There there's a, a chance that you know we could be sitting here in another 25 years from now, and there could be you know upwards of uh, you know anywhere from some six to eight Hall of Famers that you know wore the, the Rockies uniform. Some of them might have only been for a year. Dale Murphy, Jim Leland, Brett Saberhagen, but eventually. Um, going back to that, that beautiful hall there in Cooperstown, there's going to be people from the state of Colorado that go through, and they're going to see a lot more Colorado. They're going to see a lot more purple going through that Hall of Fame because there's just such a rich history here in Denver, and, and it's, it's finally come to fruition now with Larry Walker.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's well put, and I also would hope that um, as we continue to move forward, uh, the locale of where you play. And I'm not talking specifically about Coors Field right now. I'm talking about the fact that, you know, Denver, we all know how what a wonderful city it is. And, you know, if, if people spent any time here, you know, the whole world would want to live in Denver because of our, our weather and, and you know, the, the scenery and how healthy our community is uh, typically. But um, it, it goes beyond that. It's just that, you know, if you're attached to the Yankees and we get that, you can have – it's like your statistics have been raised three uh, notches on the ladder uh, as opposed to if you, you know, played in Denver or if you played in, uh, you know, another Midwestern city. And so uh, hopefully that will become less of a a factor moving forward and we'll raise the candidacy of some other guys that that probably need to um, have their statistics and their their body of work looked at uh, more closely.
0: Another guy we talked about in that conversation when we were doing our draft was Joey Votto, a guy who you know doesn't play on one of the coasts, not a lot of postseason experiences, just an extraordinary hitter for a very long time. But Todd Helton is obviously the other guy here in town that people want to know about using your own rubric now that we understand it. What did pitchers say to you when you would go up and after a 10, 11, 12, 15 pitch at bat, and then he'd take them yard or hit a double the other way down the line or in the gap. What were the kinds of things, it's PG-13 rated show, that guys were saying about Todd Helton after having to face him?
1: Well, you could throw your whole arsenal at him and realize I have nothing now that can get him out. These are you know the best of the best. And you did hear a lot of what you said earlier in that you can't let Helton beat you. I mean, if you're if you're going to lose, and it's the and it's the eighth or ninth inning, uh, you know, don't let Todd Helton hit a double in the gap, and that's why you lost. I mean, if he gets on base and you have to pass on him, and the guy behind him, you know, wins the game, so to speak, for the Rockies, you can live with that a whole lot easier than you can if, uh, especially during the you know the late '90s through 2005, 2006, if 17 came to the plate, and, and even later in his career, where. You know, because of injuries in the back, I mean, his talents were diminished. Uh, he, he still gave you a great at bat, man. I mean, he, yeah. his OPS of 953 that should be slam the gavel down right there during right. the Hall of Fame, right? Right. Um, right. So, yeah, from, from the guys that faced him, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was the, you know, yeah. AFI uh, at all times. I mean, there there wasn't any. But look look at the last game he played at home. Jake Peavy, who, who had a marvelous career, right? I mean, he had such great respect for him. I know he was proud that he could face Helton in Helton's final game at Coors Field. And we know what Todd did because great players seemingly um, do great things when the when the lights are the brightest, and he hits the ball out. I couldn't believe it. It's one of the it's one of the, you know, mic drop moments, at least for me in my career watching that. I mean, who does that? I mean, that's the stuff that happens in Hollywood. It doesn't typically happen in, in real life. Uh, one of my favorite lines in, in baseball is careers don't end like that. Careers end, uh, you know, on a ground ball to short. Uh, but, uh, you know, listen, Jake Peavy, who was a tremendous player, ultimate, ultimate uh respect for Helton and that's why he was thrilled and said as much after to be a part of that uh, even though Helton took him deep and that's
2: just that's just the beauty of sports there where if, if you were to read it in a script you wouldn't believe that these two guys who basically are wrapping their careers up at the same time who did battle in in 2007 with Helton's squad you know coming ahead there in game 163 PV, you know the best pitcher in the NL winning the Cy Young award and yet here they are kind of culminating their, their careers at the exact same moment. And, you know, tip of the cap, hell gets the best of it. You, you can't write that stuff and make it believable, but yet in sports, we see it all the time. It's, it's, it's the wonder of the game.
1: It's the last bastion of true reality television.
2: <laughs> right,
1: It right. is. I mean, right. when we all sit down and watch an event. Um, You know whether it's a a playoff game in the NFL next week, or or the Avalanche playing the Kings last night, or the Nuggets. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you may see. You know who who knew Jamal Murray was going to go off for fifty plus on a couple of occasions in that Utah series last uh, last year? Who knew in Game Two, after disappointing Game One, the Avs were going to score eight goals? Uh, You know, you never know what you're going to see. So I always say it, it truly is the last bastion of reality. Uh, television, and, uh, and it's why we all, you know, we all
0: love sports. Yeah, absolutely. A sport I've been falling in love with, by the way, lately, Mr. Goodman. I don't know if you're a rugby guy at all. I don't know how much you know about rugby. But we got great rugby coverage now here at DNVR. They got Colton Strickler on the podcast, whether you're just getting to learn about the sport, one-on-one, 101. He's also got one-on-one interviews with people, but 101 introductory stuff or the in-depth stuff, whatever you want to know. And now is the best time to get in because Infinity Park right here in Glendale, Colorado is going to become known as Rugby Town USA. Been designated Rugby Town National Training Center, home of the USA Eagles men's and women's 15 teams they got all kinds of fun people coming in including glenn big dog robinson it's almost like it's like a cross between sports and wwe but it's very very real these guys are phenomenal athletes uh, and and scary quite frankly uh, the game's really easy to pick up if you've never learned uh, there are a couple of wonky rules that you're, you're going to be asking why they keep kicking it out of bounds but you'll figure it out after a while it, it really is a lot of fun so check them out over there on the dnvr rugby side it's I a got fun my, sport.
1: I, Drew, I got my start in Aspen in this business. And the big team in Aspen, one of the elite teams in the country at the time, and I still think they are one of the elite uh, rugby outfits, the gentlemen of Aspen. And uh, so I got, you know, right there in the center of uh, the heart of Aspen, I'd, I'd get to watch them play. And they had, as I said, um, some uh, elite uh elite caliber players world caliber players uh it, it's a great sport ultimate tough guys and and they also uh they, they also know how to uh, enjoy themselves after they
0: compete against one another <laughs> that seems plausible yeah seems reasonable I, I assume by that of course that you mean that they go and get their studies done at msu denver online they get their, their they're very stupid yeah then go to msudenver.edu slash online to the leaders in digital education. You don't want to go to someone who's just now figuring it out. You want to be a roadrunner. Pick up a few extra skills for life. Finish an old degree. Start a new one. Or like I said, just learn something about, I don't know, the history of Victorian England or comic books or baseball. They've got all kinds of classes for you. So head on over there. You might end up in a class with one of these rugby players. Like we said, they're very studious.
1: Patrick, I see how this show works. Drew does all the wonderful segues, huh? I mean, he, that was that was magical, man, how you moved over to that. But uh, good for yeah. you. One of the yeah. yeah, I know they don't want to be looked at. Um, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I know they want to, don't want to be looked at as just a, a commuter school because they have dorms now and, and have for a number of years. But Metro State is really well thought of nationally. I do know yeah. that as a fact.
2: Yeah, yeah we, we remember uh, during the uh, – spring or excuse me summer camp when uh when bud black went over to msu to to watch some of the guys training at the alternate site he loved his roadrunners cap uh i remember that day on zoom he was so proud ro- rocking his roadrunners and he's like does anybody know what the what the mascot is for metro state you know the way he likes to throw those trivia questions out there so he's a big fan of them as well
1: yeah buddy buddy's the best and you, you know the three of us know it. that because we, Especially during normal times, we're in that dugout and, you know, some some of the stuff gets played for, you know, uh, an audience uh, to consume at home and and a lot of stuff, you know, unfortunately does not. Just some of the casual conversations, Buddy is is, as witty and as smart as as anybody you're going to sit with in a dugout, that's for sure
0: absolutely it it really is a a joy i remember introducing patrick to him and he immediately just started quizzing him on stuff and wanted to know everything like he's just among the best we do have to get to a couple of questions Uh, i love this one because it allows us a little longer to to talk about helton it comes from dnvr commenter who also brings another interesting conversation liam all-time great saying who do you think getting into the hall first helton or scott Rowland?"
1: Very interesting question. Um, I I know you guys have followed this closely, and I'm going to say, and and not just because uh, of who we are and where we are, I think it's going to be close, but I'm going to go with Helton. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people have taken a much closer look at Todd's numbers this year, and he has um, jumped more than anybody else, at least in people who've revealed their ballots. And I think uh, more than a third have been revealed so far. And Todd has um, accumulated uh, the most, the the highest increase, I should say, in votes from last year. So uh, though I don't think Todd's getting in this year, um, I think it'll be close. I hope Scott Rowland gets in. And uh, I would think that uh, right now, I'd probably say Todd, you know, may be able to, you know, get in slightly before Roland. Who knows, though? I think they're both deserving, though.
2: Yeah, they're neck and neck right now at the public ballots, according to not Mr. Tibbs, Ryan Thibodeau, who looks at this mm-hmm. stuff. Scott Roland, about 65% of the public ballots. Todd Helm, about 55%. So both of those guys are on a cusp where uh, I, I, I don't have the evidence to back it up. But I imagine once you get over the 50% threshold, uh, at a certain point, you're you're almost a lock to get in. So I think both those guys are at that point where now those voters who maybe were on the fence are starting to realize, hey, you know what, you know, this guy, let me look again. And, you know, I know Drew did it with Scott Rowland and we talked about Fred McGriff yesterday and you go, wait a minute. Yeah, no, these guys are Hall of Famers. Uh, they They might not be in the top 1%, but they deserve to be there.
1: Fred McGriff, I've never understood that. Fred McGriff should have been in a, little, a long time ago. In my mind, I
2: understand
1: <laughs> that, and that goes back to something I talked about earlier. You're telling me if Fred McGriff had worn a Yankees uniform or a Mets uniform for for a significant period of time, or a Dodger uniform or or a Cub uniform, you tell me he wouldn't be in already.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm-
2: and the funny thing is he did wear a Yankees uniform. He just happened to get <laughs> traded back when, when George Steinbrenner was running the team and was trading every single prospect he could get his hands on. Uh, yeah. But you're right. Did, didn't do it in the majors. And so that's, that's kind of baffling. And I think, I think the same thing with McGriffin and Scott Rowland is, you know, both those guys, they weren't uh star players. They weren't, uh, they didn't bring excitement. They didn't bring like a certain kind of swagger. They just went in, checked in every day, did what they needed to do where it was, was part of, you know, a lot of really you know great winning ball clubs and in a sense almost got overlooked because of that.
1: I'm reminded of a line that um, Clint Hurdle used to roll out periodically. And, and as we know, Clint has a lot of great lines and, uh, and a lot of poignant lines. And, and one of them is the enemy of good is great. We want to anoint people great sometimes prematurely. But ultimately, if you are consistently good over an extended period of time, we look back and say, you know what? That dude was great. So in the case of Scott Rowland, for instance, year in and year out, he was really good. And then when you add it all up, yeah, that was that was a great player. Great third baseman defensively, certainly. Probably, you know, Nolan, the best defensive third baseman over – a significant period of time would be Scott Rowland and a, and a very good offensive player uh, as well.
0: Will wants to know an OG commenter from the very early days. Is there something we can take away from the voting for Walker or Helton now when we're looking a decade or so into the future for guys on the current roster? Somebody had mentioned Nolan Aranato who may be on their way to hall of fame, but uh, do you feel like, it, there's been a shift, a, a change in the way the voters look at Rockies players.
1: Well, they're paying attention to metrics far more than they they ever have beyond just, you know, home runs and batting average and RBIs. It's it's far more sophisticated and it should be far more sophisticated than that. Um, there's something I haven't mentioned that I was always told growing up, um, whether, you know, initially by perhaps my dad or uh, in addition to my dad, other things I heard you know, as a kid and and say, well, who's a hall of famer? Well, it's somebody who was, you know, a dominant player in their era, somebody that you looked upon in their era and you said, Hey, he's one of the best players in the game. And uh, that, that may sound like an oversimplification, but if you looked at Todd Helton, for instance, and said, you know, Todd played 17 years, right? So in, in Todd's career, was he one of the best players? Well, in the, in the, you know, you take his 10 year prime, which is a pretty long prime. And you say, absolutely. Todd Helton, wherever he went, was looked upon as like we said earlier, the guy you didn't want to lose the game to, he was one of the best players in the game in his era. And therefore by that criteria alone, he's a hall of famer. So to the question You look now and the most obvious one after eight years in the league of putting up robust offensive numbers and unparalleled defensive numbers and awards, the gold glove in all seasons that he has played, Nolan Arenado, without question is clearly on a hall of fame trajectory. I saw it mentioned, I think by Mike Schmidt, I remember alluding to this, whether it was a year or two ago when Mike was naturally asked uh, about Nolan, he said, you know, if he does this for another uh, I forget what it was, but, you know, I think mean, he said like eight, 10 years, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I have, you know, the greatest of respect for, for Mike Schmidt. Uh, he doesn't have to do it that long. I mean, we've seen guys with careers who were cut short, like the late Kirby Puckett, who ended up becoming uh, a Hall of Famer in a, in a shorter amount of time. Uh, probably, you know, Nolan is, you know, four years Away from if he puts together four more years that are somewhat similar to what he's done, he's probably reached a hall of fame level. I mean, he may not have the counting numbers if somehow his, his career was cut short after you know three, four, five years, but based on what he would have done for a decade plus, you know, in my mind, he probably already would be a, a heck of a candidate.
0: Bonus question I don't know that yeah. I've ever asked this of, of anyone before, and I'm not even sure I've answered it, but. How many more consecutive Gold Gloves is this guy going to win? Everybody, give me a number. I mean, well, well, Drew, I, when does it stop? Drew, five, Drew. It's a great question, and Patrick, I don't think that's
1: out, outlandish to say five because I know it was a truncated season, but I don't know if Nolan was any better for sixty games uh, than than we've seen him in the past, and we and he's had you know ridiculous seasons defensively, right? One after another. But I, I think game to game, and again, I understand it was only sixty, uh, but he was, I mean, he was remarkably good again last year. So I, you know, I'm not going to put a ceiling on it. I, I think Patrick's right. If you said five years from now he's still be, um, you know, the the guy that uh, the standard bear uh, at third base, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't challenge that. So yeah, I mean, he may be able to win 13, 14 Gold clubs ultimately. Right.
2: Yeah, that's a great point about, you know, a player's career maybe not being uh, at the peak or at the MVP level throughout, but when they were at their peak, you know, how, how good were they? Like, look at a guy like Andrew Jones, who, you know, again, voters are still deciding on whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. And I think you almost get the inkling that that he is, uh, you know, from, from his big days with Atlanta. The dude after the age of 30 didn't play over a hundred games. So yeah, he played, he stuck around for 17 seasons, but had a relatively short career for the most part. I mean, he did, you know, uh, play in the world series at 19 years old, but I think if you have that compact career and like you said, Drew, you know, four more years kind of doing, you know, more Arenado like stuff that'll lock him in. He might not ever get to 500 home runs. He might not, he might not even get to 2,500 hits. You know, don't know. He might not get to 1400 RBI like Alaraga, but just, Looking at the guys that he played against in his era, he's undoubtedly one of the top ten ball players in the game for a decade plus uh, period of years.
1: Yes, and you know the other guy. Just going back to that question, the other guy that you he, he has not done enough yet because he hasn't played long enough. He's done a lot in a short period of time, and that's Trevor's story. I look at players when we talk about the ultimate award in baseball, which which you guys are discussing and have been all week, uh, the Hall of Fame. I, I look at first and foremost, does that person have Hall of Fame ability? Nolan Arenado clearly has Hall of Fame ability. Trevor Story has Hall of Fame ability. And now it is, can they continue to compile numbers over mm-hmm. a significant period of time where then you stop and go, okay, he's 35 and he's done this for 14 years. and. You know, it checks off this box and that box, and, and then you say, "Hey, this is a pretty strong candidate uh, for Cooperstown." But you first have to have that that ability. I mean, there are guys that are going to last fifteen years in baseball and have you know wonderful careers and set their families up for generations financially, but they they weren't at, at a Hall of Fame caliber. They were good players, solid players um, for for a good period of time, but there are very few you can say, "Hey." This guy can stay at, a, at at close to this level. I mean, you're watching a guy with Hall of Fame ability. Mookie Betts hasn't done it long enough yet. We all know Mookie Betts has Hall of Fame talent. That's right. obvious. Kobe Bellinger has Hall of Fame mm-hmm. talent. Hasn't done it long enough. I mean, if tragically his career were to end tomorrow, you'd say, oh, man. Troy Tulowitzki had Hall of Fame talent. Yes, he Troy did. Troy will never get into Cooperstown. But from a talent standpoint – and, boy, he was among the best in the game for, for a shorter period of time. But he had the he had the talent to get to Cooperstown. Now, does the body cooperate? Does, you know, that sort of thing.
0: On the flip side of it, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, sort of in the Scott Rowland conversation, being around for a long time and being very good or or sort of your contributions outweighing the, the sum of the parts. I wanted to ask you about where we left our podcast yesterday, and that's with two – men who have helmed the Colorado Rockies. Don Baylor, eventually, possibly getting in by a committee. And is Bud Black a Hall of Famer? You know, I, I think he's got, we talked about it yesterday, maybe a losing record in his career. He hasn't won the big one as a manager, but as a player, as a pitching coach in uh, with the Angels, and his tenure, that he's been such a great ambassador for the game. I think there's an interesting case to be made about those two guys. So what's your take on those two Rockies managers and whether or not they belong in some way enshrined in the hall? Yeah. Don Baylor had a great career. I mean, Don Baylor had, had a really good career. I I would have to uh, study it a little
1: more closely at first brush. I would say that Don Baylor who was a hall of fame person and I'm not just being, you know, cavalier and saying that because he's no longer with us, he really was. Um, I, you know, I think the numbers probably fall just a little bit short. um, And that's, that's without dissecting them deeply. That's a kind of a, you know, a casual glance. And I'm not even literally glancing right (laughs) Right. now. And for Buddy, you know, Buddy, Buddy had a, you know, really, really good major league pitching career. He has been a very good major league manager. He's not right now, and I'm sure Buddy was sitting here, as, especially with the humility that he carries, he, uh, he's not a Hall of Fame manager yet. Now, if we fast forward 10 years and Buddy's still managing the Rockies and, and, and the Rockies are able to win a, a, a title or two, uh, now you look at it completely differently. Uh, but uh, you know, in terms of you know, Hall of Fame respect and, and, uh, and, and Hall of Fame guys, You know, the the late Don Baylor was certainly that. And and we're very fortunate to deal with, uh, you know, with with Buddy right now, who's a, you know, Hall of Fame guy. But I would say from a from a number standpoint right now, whether it be managerial and certainly as a a player, you know, Buddy, Buddy wasn't a Hall of Fame player. He was a really good pitcher for, you know, a a good period of time, but uh, not not a Hall of Fame pitcher and and not yet a Hall of Fame manager, though. There's a whole lot of Hall of Famers that would raise their hand and love to play for him. Because uh, of how he builds a clubhouse and how he handles and runs a
2: game, another guy you could probably throw into that group that's got Rockies relations. If if the Hall of Fame were to somehow look at at guys and who were baseball lifers and say, well, you know what, they manage or they coach and they had a good playing career and they've been around the game forever, And I think eventually we could see something like that. Uh, certain exceptions being made for for guys would would be someone like Don Zimmer who, you know, great manager of, of, of the Red Sox, we know, uh, came close to winning the championship uh, with them, you know, great coach, had a, had a decent little playing career, and just the contributions to the game. I don't know if you got a chance to, um, you know, speak with him at all during his time with the Rockies. It was very brief, but I think those baseball lifers, you know, eventually at some point we could see the Hall of Fame maybe, you know, extend an olive branch out to them because you're right, they're Hall of Fame people, and sometimes the Hall of Fame you know, doesn't always calculate for something like that.
1: No. And, and, and I think it's okay to have a wonderful career and not be enshrined in a hall of fame. And one of the things I really admire and and love about the hall of fame in baseball is they um, really are careful and calculated uh, in how they arrive at who is the voting body. And I want to get to that in a moment, by the way, but how they arrive at, you know, who is a hall of famer. It's not predetermined. Hey, we're going to take in six every year. Um, if you, if you make it to the hall of fame in baseball, man, you, you really are worthy because they have, um, they, they've really done a good job in, in looking at the numbers and scrutinizing um, what, that individual brought to the game. And there's no shame in saying, hey, like a buddy black. What a wonderful managerial career he's had so far. What a wonderful uh, career he's had as a player. But it, it's not Hall of Fame worthy. I don't think that's uh, in some way demeaning to uh, Right get lifetime demerits
0: because you don't make all <laughs> well we had a whole conversation yesterday about the honor it is just to make a hall of fame ballot once just to have your name on the ballot just to, you know we were talking about guys like melvin mora it's like you're kind of weird and you're not surprised he didn't get any votes but you're like he played long enough in the game to make a ballot and you know if if that was me i'd hang that thing right up there next to any other trophies that i won I was on the ballot. Didn't get any votes. Whatever, man. There's my name right next to Barry Bonds and everybody.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I I agree. And I I have great respect for the Baseball Writers Association by and large. Um, I think that they have, for the most part, really come a long way in uh, doing their homework and, and looking beyond name recognition and that's why larry walker's a hall of famer it's why it now looks like todd helton's going to be a hall of famer i haven't said this yet throughout our conversation it, when i would get this question about helton especially toward the end of his career is he a hall of famer is he a hall of famer because he's he's probably the most popular all-time rocky and i would always you know kind of equivocate and say he's going to be close but he's probably going to fall short because of the Coors Field, the altitude um, conversation that will always be associated with his career number. And to see that better understood nationally and how difficult it is to go on the road when you perform at Coors at, at Field and at altitude. And now I believe, as, as you guys do, that Todd's going to be a Hall of Famer. I wouldn't have thought that going back several years ago. Even though I felt like he deserved it, I just felt like he's going to fall short for some of the reasons we touched on earlier and this
0: course Field bias. For the same reason that he came in fifth in MVP voting in 2000 instead of winning the thing. And, and right. it, just, it, it followed him his whole career. And I, I even remember during the debate, some people saying to me, you know, well, he just, he wasn't thought of that way during his career. Only he only played in so many all-star games. It's not as many as these other people I go. Yeah. He was underrated throughout his career. Let's stop underrating him. Now we've all got the opportunity to stop that right now and to see it actually happening. I'm with you. I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit blown away. I, I was you know, saying this
1: also, I, again, I have great respect for the baseball writers and, and, and especially the ones that really do their homework. And I think uh, more now than ever before do their homework. And this this next statement is going to sound somewhat self-serving, uh, but I believe this, that it should be the, the voters should encompass uh, other folks that, you know, watch the game. And, and I'm alluding to announcers, whether, you know, television and radio announcers. Uh, in particular, because um, oftentimes we see more uh, of the home team and more of the visiting team than even beat writers, whose beat writers get you know more days off and, and and that sort of thing, or a columnist who may you know catch a dozen games a year when they're you know coming through and they go I haven't written a story on the local baseball team in a while, so I would like to see the the. The voting body expand to include um, others that that follow the game very closely. I, I know that's self serving, but I believe it. So,
2: well, no, that that's something I think most fans probably don't realize. Like, you know, well, who actually votes? Who determines on who gets in, who doesn't? They don't necessarily understand the veterans committees and things of that nature. They would probably be shocked that the people who wa- who are there for 162 games every single season for decades at a time don't get to vote. Vince Scully. Has never had one say about any of the players he saw in his 60 uh, some year career. Never once did the Hall of Fame go, Vin, who do you think should be it? That's never happened. And but that, if I keep writing for another
0: couple yeah. of years, they're going to give me a vote. Like, <laughs>
1: like that. Well, you know what, Drew? I know you're being self deprecating, but but I know because I'm there every day, and I know that, that Drew Creaseman and Patrick Lyons are there every day. There are people that vote and have had, and, and now they're they're being a little bit better on on you know taking votes away if somebody hasn't covered the game in a while. But there were people who were voting; that were no longer even covering baseball right. a while back,
0: and and there are still people that have votes that don't cover it on a day to day basis. Yeah, I've I've told the story a couple of times about in 2018 when I really when I just put my head down, I covered 79 of the Rockies' 81 home games, but that was the year also that I gained so much appreciation because that was half. I did at best half of what you're doing all the time. And I went, and I, and I, re- I can't remember exactly the day, but I, I just was sitting at home during, their team's out on the road and you're calling the game and I just go, no days off, man. Or, or maybe it was like the one weekend that you took off. It's like one weekend, a season. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I would be dead. Like, It's it's insane. I gained so much appreciation for it. So, yeah, the idea that that people who go through that grind and are there for all of it and and see it that up close and and don't have those those moments where they can take their mind and maybe watch a little basketball, a little hockey and, and get out of it a little bit and come back like totally with you. What do you what do you think about like players and executives getting votes or is that maybe a little bit too, they're too close to it. They're they're kind of involved. Keep it with the people who comment. Yeah, well,
1: well I, I like and I think it's fitting that if you're in the Hall of Fame, you have a vote. Um, oh, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. so uh, that's fine. I, you know, that, that's an interesting question. I, I think that, you know, the people inside the game, I've always said that, that players know best. They know who the best players are, right? And so I I wouldn't I I don't know how you do it with, you know, so somebody comes up for 30 days and now they're they're handing out the ballot that particular year. So they get a vote. I I don't know about that. Um, I don't I don't know if we have to have, you know, know, 50,000 people voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame. But I I, like anything, I think there needs to be, you know, kind of a. A place where you take a look at who the voting body is and say, "Okay, how how can we, you know, continue to Im- improve this?" And I think they've done, as I said, I, I, they've done a really good job because they're now looking at players that uh, were dismissed earlier because maybe they didn't have the biggest name or didn't play on, under the brightest light. So um, I, I think certainly it's heading in the right direction.
2: As as Mr. Kriesman. Pointed out earlier about about Smoltz and uh, Glavin and Maddox, those guys talking about how much reverence they had for Todd Helton. They, you're right. The, the players can see how good guys are, uh, and and they've got the respect for them. But for the writers and those that actually vote, they have to they have to look a lot deeper. And you know, our buddy Manny Randow wrote a, a great book. Uh, last year, Blake Street Bombers, that I think was somewhat of a catalyst for people going back and and reexamining Larry Walker's numbers. I think people are starting to do that now with with Todd Helton's numbers because, uh, as you said before, Drew, this idea of looking who they played against. If you go back and and you look from Helton's you know first fourteen full seasons from '98 to 2011, his road OPS and his road on base percentage was still amongst the best in the game. So, you know, we know the narrative is ah, but he benefited from Coors Field. Okay. Well, let's forget about that. Let's just 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 throw him on the road when granted all the other 29 teams get to count Coors Field as their road numbers. So, go ahead and subtract that entirely from Todd Helton and when you look at those numbers just on his on-base percentage, it was 391, ninth best amongst players from, from 98 to 2011. So that includes A-Rod. It's better than A-Rod. Better than Vlad Guerrero Jr., Derek Cheater, Ichiro, Scott Rowland, David Ortiz, Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltray. When you really start to dice it up like that, it, the, the argument about, ah, Coors Field, let's just put that to the side and forget about him, it really doesn't, doesn't hold much water once you start diving into the statistics? I
1: I think that the more information that is espoused, as you guys do on your show and and I've done on on my podcast or when the topic has come up during a a game in season, and and certainly we'll have plenty of opportunity this year to talk about Todd's candidacy uh, this year, and I look forward to that. Um, And and sometimes it's enlightening um, to people, um, when they hear about, wait, he has you know better road numbers than a bunch of big, big name Hall of Famers, Dave Winfield, I think, uh, among that group, that people say, aha. The other thing that needs to be pointed out, in addition to that folks are realizing how difficult it is to go from altitude to sea level, which we talked about, in the National League West, there are five teams, as we know. Arizona is a good place to hit. Dodger Stadium, Petco Park, uh, and San Francisco, AT&T, Globe Light. What are they calling it now? Glo- whatever, <laughs> whatever they're calling it now. <laughs> I third, people, thing, yeah. to whoever wrote the big check and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get it right when we go there. Uh, but <laughs> you're, talking about, you're talking about three of the greatest pitcher parks in baseball, right. and you are playing – each year, either nine or ten games in that park. So you know that that's thirty games, which is um, a pretty hefty percentage of the games you're playing at a place where you know runs go to die, right? Like triples used to go to die in Willie Mays' glove. Well, you're not you're not putting up robust offensive numbers typically at Dodger Stadium or in San Francisco or in San Diego. So that that should be uh, factored in as well. And and the other thing that uh, you know is for years frustrated me is it's always about a Coors Field candidate. Now there have been a lot of them. Well, you know Larry Walker's going in now. We're debating Todd Helton. But do, was it ever discussed about it? You know how frequently a guy hit a home run on on batted on the left side of the plate at, at Yankee Stadium? No. Right. More the fact that you know if you played in Boston, you had that Green Monster out there. You always, talk, you know, we talk about the Green Monster, but we didn't say, okay, well, let's juxtapose their stats here versus what they did on the road. It's very rarely done.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the other things actually, since you're on it, I, I want to ask you about real quick because we did this podcast a couple of weeks ago. I tweeted out the Rockies also play in the wrong division. the fact that they have to go to California three times a year it, or three uh, to face those teams all the time. Uh, and you know they, they should be playing Arizona and the Texas teams, but the travel people don't understand. I remember you running down on oh, it was a couple of years ago, but it was I think the Marlins were in town, right maybe right before the all star break. And they were about to leave and they were going to go back and for the rest of the season they didn't have a game outside the eastern time zone for the rest of the season and every time the rockies go on the road they go to some polar opposite environment and so i I think again that's something that you understand that people who don't travel with the team all the time wouldn't necessarily is the drain of the travel that the rockies uniquely have to go through
1: yeah those are all um factors that you know, should be mentioned and, and taken into consideration uh, as opposed to the easy um, dismissal of numbers because Coors Field
0: is a great place to hit. Nobody's denying that. Right. We, we can all see that part too. Right. <laughs> uh, we can all. I did wanna get, uh, you know, we're gonna have a uh, hopefully slight teaser here, time for more questions another time with Mr. Goodman, but I did wanna get this one in because IDJ too enjoyed the book, wanted to ask you about uh, if these walls could talk. We have talked with you about that before on this show, but wanna know how you came to write it and just if you had in your mind these stories uh, that this was going to be a good book or maybe something you decide later on, hey, I've, I've got enough stories for a book here.
1: The way that came about, um, I, I think some somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I I always wanted to do a book. Um, I didn't know what it would be about. Um, I actually probably want to do another book at some point in time. And again, I can't tell you what that will be about. Um, the I, I was approached by Benjamin Hockman, who you guys know, who's who's a columnist. With St. The St. Louis. Post, yeah, St. Louis Post-Dispatch and was in town. He's originally um, from from New York. And... He reached out to me because um, the the publisher that he had done a a book with was interested, wanted to know if I wanted to do a book on the Rockies, and um, that's you know Triumph Books. That's that's originally how it came about. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then you know to to better answer the question, uh, it, it was a fascinating process, and you start you know putting not literally pen to paper, sometimes it was pen to paper, but, you know, you you start typing away. And and then I, the the part that was fun to do and, and, you know, really interesting where the stories came about is I had, you know, a bunch of stories I had to think about and tried to, you know, jog my memory by talking to other people that I work with and, and that sort of thing, but also just doing exhaustive interviews with a lot of guys from the Heltons and the Cargos and the, Walt Weiss's uh, of the world, and and the, the, you know the Dan O'Dowds and um, you know Dick Monfort, and and putting those on tape, and you know I did some of the writing, but the bulk writing um, based on all of those interviews um, was done in collaboration with um, Benjamin, who you know who does that uh, for a living. But um, you know I w- the more conversations I had, whether it was with Spilly or, or Huey, and all of a sudden it would you know, I, I remember another story and that sort of thing. And um, so it, it was fun to be able to put it, uh, you know, put it, uh, you know, put it on paper uh, again, so to speak, and, and to see that uh, come about. And, and I also think for those that didn't get it when it came out initially, it, it has shelf life because if you're a Rocky fan, it's not like, oh, okay, well, just chronicles the 2018 run to uh, the postseason. it, right. it, it, it it spends a, a good deal of time uh, in a lot of different areas and covering the history and the, and the, the, players and, and, you know, the executives that uh, formulated, a, you know, more than a quarter century of, of their history.
2: And it's a great reminder of all the, of all the details that surround, you know, these big moments, like for, for anyone who's read the book, the number 64 should mean something. If you follow the 2007 Rockies, you know, the relevance of the number 64, but your book does a good job of, of, you know, telling the story of the young man and, and, and just really detailing everything going on, you know, outside the lines when, you know, the the team isn't winning every, you know, ball game down the stretch and and making a push for the world series. It's about those kind of down moments a little bit too. And and your book does a great job of, of hitting all those notes.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Patrick. And I, what you're mentioning, you know, Clint Hurdle does such a great job of of recounting that period of time, um, during that run in 07 and that story, um, and I'll let you get the book and, and, and read about it, but I get just when you were mentioning it now, you get chills thinking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, so listen. Even even though we we began this your your guys podcast today talking about the fact that the Rockies are still somewhat in their embryonic stages going into what year twenty eight, um, they they've had, um, you know, many moments and some historical ones, and I, I know it's frustrating for fans. You wish there were there were a lot more, but there have been some uh, some not only great players but some characters that we touch on and. And, um, some fascinating things that you may not be aware of that, uh, you know, we were able to, to present a little bit, uh, uh, in writing. So
2: that was fun. We got to ask you at least one tough question here before we wrap up. What is your take on these steroid guys, whether, whether it's guys who we know, you know, have kind of come out, guys who haven't, guys we suspect, you know, do you think eventually they'll get in? Do they deserve a place? Is that just kind of part of baseball's history and we, we got to get past it at some point? What What's your take on that era?
1: So it's a great question. It's a fair question. Anybody who's involved in the game, as you guys are, and, and I am, have wrestled with it, I'm sure, many times privately. Um, you know, growing up, you, you learned very early on, you know, cheating should be not accepted. You don't cheat on a test. You don't, you know, cheat. You um, though we do know that um, we, in sports um, we've always pushed the boundaries um, trying to get better performance, um, whether it's individual or collective. A couple of years ago with the Houston Astros, um, that will probably always take place. Um, so to specifically answer your question, I, I, I think there's no way of knowing, hey, this guy did and that guy didn't. Um, And I'll use Barry Bonds as an example because it seems pretty clear that he did, whether he ever tested positive or not. Um, But for me, and uh, I know there's been a familiar theme in this show with you guys, if you ask the players that played in that era, the coaches that coached in that era, the managers that managed in that era, and you say, who's the greatest hitter you've ever seen? I answer the same way they do. Barry Bonds. So is Barry Bonds a Hall of Famer? You're damn right he is. Um, you know, and so it's it's a tough one. There's some unsavory characters in that museum, which we should remember. Mm-hmm. The, right. Uh, there's some unsavory guys. There's some guys that, that probably held soci, uh, you know, uh, social views and political views that, that may be way out there uh, that are in there. Um, but in the context of you know guys that that belong and, and guys that put together Hall of Fame numbers, I, I'll just talk about Bonds specifically. Barry Bonds, a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens, a Hall of Famer.
2: Yeah, and, and and you've been there with your boys, so you know it's every room that you go into is a conversation, and so you go, oh wait a minute, I've heard something about Bonds, I've heard something about Clemens. Well, let's talk about it. And you can, you can still have that conversation and you can still talk about, well, you know, maybe they they, they crossed the line and, you know, yeah, they cheated. Uh, it, it's not like it's just forgotten and, and brushed under the rug. It, it's really just kind of the, the first stage in a, a, much lo- a much larger conversation about human beings being separate from the athletes.
1: Yeah, and, and this will always be the case, um, especially when there's money. Uh, on the line, people are always gonna push that that envelope. and I almost feel more sorry for you know maybe the guy that never got to the big leagues and 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 was a lifetime, you know minor league guy. Uh, professional AAA players we all know exist. And, and many people who are fans of the game don't realize realize that there are guys that go to AAA every year and they're 31, 32, 33 years of age. They know they're not going to play in the big leagues, but they're going to, you know, fill out a big, uh, a minor league roster, a AAA roster, and and they're going to make, you know, 50, 60 grand, you know, nice summer money. And then in the off season, like the guys used to, they're going to have, you know, an, another job and don't cheat. And then there's going to be some guys that, you know, took steroids and went from being, you know, a five or six home run guy to a 16 to 20 home run guy. And they got a chance to make some real money and play in the big leagues. They're not Hall of Fame caliber. So the guys that didn't partake in that and, and maybe didn't reap the fruits of either getting there or making uh, more money. I, I understand their gripe and I understand their um, anger. Sometimes I've talked to players that have that, that were kind of, more fringy players and say, well, if I had used, you know, maybe I would have made, you know, several million dollars because my offensive numbers would have jumped up. But when it comes to the top tier guys, I just, I think almost at some point in time you have to say, Hey, you know, what about, you know, when there were amphetamines in the game, could guys have played day in and day out the way they did if They weren't, you know, popping greenies. Probably not.
0: So I'll I'll run it by you somebody who's long been very very steadfast on this because I just don't <laughs> like it. And the other side of it, the the guys I think about it, and we've talked, we've said a lot of their names today. What would make me feel a lot better about this? The Carlos Delgados and Fred McGriffs and Scott Rowlands and Todd Helton's, the guys that because now we have to say for the sake of argument, like we don't know who did and who didn't, but we got to wrap up here soon, so I'll let you finish out on this. But it's just those guys now if they get in you know especially McGriff and Delgado who aren't even on the ballot anymore and it's like I feel like in many ways they weren't thought of as superstars because during their era to be a superstar you had to hit 55 home runs a year which is like uh that's a little suspect now and I feel like those other guys just inflated during my youth what it meant to be a superstar player and a lot of guys got overlooked but that for me would make me feel so much better. I'm like, I'm with you. Let's put in bonds and Clemens. Uh, but can we also put in Delgado and McGriff? Well, I, I, think, that, I, right? yeah, I
1: think they're both hall of famers anyhow, um, right. regardless, regardless of whether we were talking about what certain players did or didn't do. Um, and, you know, we said a while ago, uh, I, I find it inexplicable that Fred McGriff is not in. Um, and it goes back to that, that, Clint Hurdle phrase, you know, the, the enemy of, of, of good is great. I mean, Fred McGriff was really good for a really long period of time. And then you look up the numbers and you said, hey, this this is probably Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, Henry Aaron, as you guys know, he never hit 50 home runs in a season, right? Right. Right. So, so
0: yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, let's let's take a deeper look at some of those guys whose numbers weren't quite as wow, especially because some of the wow numbers are a little more questionable. And I'm, I'm down for the compromise. I think there's it. The hall is still plenty exclusive if we let all those guys in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Mr. Drew Goodman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk Hall of Fame with us uh really do appreciate it everyone get the book of course it's if these walls could talk make sure you find it uh, of, of course i know you're going to be watching rockies I was gonna say, make sure you're watching at&t sportsnet it's like i gotta tell this crowd to be watching the rockies no, i think uh, i think your audience
1: probably knows where to find uh find the games i appreciate you guys having me on um like to do it uh hopefully we get to do this on a regular basis and um you know if uh you guys do this on a daily basis. I'm about to finish up my podcast a little later today. Um,
2: yeah, who you got on? I know you had, you had Tom, Tom Green for for back to back. He was fantastic. Yeah. Who, who do you have on this week?
1: You know what? Uh, uh, I, I did a two-parter. And, and it, it doesn't always – you guys know this from doing so many podcasts. It doesn't. You don't set out to do a two-parter because I like the long-form interview. And so Peter McNabb, who I worked with when I was covering the Avalanche, um, was on me last week. And Peter, as you guys know, I mean, he's – He's a walking encyclopedia, not only of of the avalanche but of hockey overall. And he can really tell a story. And so we ended up we ended up putting like an hour on tape. So we did that in two parts, and part one is out right now. I, I always come out with a new one on Thursday morning, basically, and uh, part two with Peter McNabb will be uh, will be tomorrow, uh, beginning tomorrow. And um, I'm gonna, I mentioned Clint earlier. I'm going to have Clint on coming up. With, some point in the not too distant future but um i i appreciate the listen
2: that story that peter mcnab tells about uh peter forsberg and and the rivets on his skates yeah you have to listen to that for any abs fan that loves peter forsberg that's a you tease. will listen to that it tease, is worth gentlemen. it that's all you listen get. <laughs> to the episode just for that story and i think i think we're gonna have a lot more folks listening to the g goodman podcast because it's it's quality stuff no doubt about it
1: yeah, Patrick, thank you for that uh for that, that, that was that was an amazing story. And he is on well, another on another show if I could join you. We'll talk about our favorite athletes. You guys have been here a while. Our our favorite athletes regardless of sport and at the top of the list for me is, is Peter Forsberg. I mean, just he was he was brilliant. And, yeah. and kind of like Tulewitz, well, he's he's a Hall of Famer, but you know Yeah. God knows what kind of numbers he would have put up had he not dealt with the
0: foot injuries because he's blowing out rivets. (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear that story. Right. So, yes, actually, uh, to answer some of the questions that have been coming up, I know a lot of people had more questions we didn't get to because, as Mr. Goodman alluded to, we're going to have more opportunities. We're going to make this a uh, semi-regular thing we we could not we could keep going on but we got to let producer kale tech boy get out of here we gotta we all got to move on to things and uh we will have plenty of opportunities to talk more it's going to be yeah
1: it's going to be fun no i look forward to joining you guys on a regular basis you guys do a great job and and obviously i see you guys all the time at the ballpark but uh i appreciate you having me on and, and continued success
0: so make sure you're following everybody on social media of course at drew creaseman at patrick d lions it's at drew Goodman Forty Two.
1: 42
0: yep all right and uh yeah make sure you're following at dnvr underscore rocky subscribe to the dnvr.com so you don't miss any of the written content plus you get discounts on hats and shirts and masks a bigger beer when you come down to the dnvr bar at safe capacity got watch parties going on right now for the Nuggets and Avalanche make sure you RSVP for those swing on by have a fun and safe time with us until then we can only ask that you keep being absolutely awesome out there I promise you we will keep being absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew's Creaseman and Goodman in here and until next time we will see you at the ballpark